0: This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9 Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. In his new book, Closing the Food Gap, Resetting the Table in the Land of Plenty, Our guest today, Mark Winnie, poses questions too often overlooked in our current conversations about food. What about people who are not financially able to make conscientious choices about where and how to get food? And in time of rising rates of both diabetes and obesity, what can we do to make healthier foods available for everyone? For 25 years, Mark Winnie was the executive director of the Hartford Food System in Hartford, Connecticut, he now writes, speaks, and consults extensively on community food system topics. Mark Winnie, welcome to Weekly Signals.
1: Thanks for having me. Well, it's good to have you with us. How are you today? I am wonderful. It's a lovely day.
0: In New Mexico?
1: It is. It's yeah. uh, sunny and not too cold.
0: And where are you in New Mexico? What, what part?
1: I'm in Santa Fe.
0: Ah, so it's beautiful
1: there. It's beautiful about 364 days out of here. <laughs>
0: really? Wow. Oh, that's a great advertisement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so all of us here in Orange County, California, where there used to be farmlands and, yeah. and open spaces, we'll just we'll just move into Santa Fe and see how that works for a while. <laughs> well, not too many of you. Yeah, I'm sure. Now, now, you were director of the Hartford Food System for 25 years. Can you tell us a little bit about the experience there for you?
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, Hartford was not a typical um, uh, northeastern city uh, that was going through a lot of changes uh, economically and socially from the 70s right up until the present. Um, And most of those changes had to do with um, the wealth that was in the city moving out to the suburbs uh, and leaving the city in uh, somewhat perilous straits. Uh, What I what i write about um in my book is the food gap the divide that existed between uh the city and the suburb uh where the wealthy wealthier more affluent people were were moving very rapidly and uh, hartford itself um actually became the second poorest city in the country with 32% of the people living below the poverty level so that's the kind of problem we were Experiencing at the time and continue Mm -hmm. to experience.
2: Wow, that I—that's not something I would have thought about. Hartford uh, becoming one of the poorest communities in America—that's—that's a surprise
1: because we we always think of it as being the uh, insurance capital of the world. Uh, Uh I mean, all our all of our major insurance companies probably got their start at one time or another there, but and that certainly provided it with a tremendous amount of wealth. But um, that didn't last.
0: Uh Now, now, what what is that gap exactly? Are are the suburbs really harming the inner cities, or is there a, a just a, a policy problem that's going on right now?
1: Uh, what we see is that um, you know it's just like anything else in economics. Wherever the wealth is, that's where the businesses will go. That's where the economic activity will be the greatest. And with respect to food, that meant that all the supermarkets that were serving people pretty equitably uh, up until uh, the late 70s, started to move out of the city into uh-huh. the suburbs. They got bigger, they got better, <clears throat> and uh, what was left in the city was almost nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. The stores were very dirty, they were high-priced, and the quality of the food was not very good. Uh, and, and it was increasingly difficult <clears throat> excuse me to find fresh um, uh, meats and produce. And uh, that was one nature. The other is simply poverty versus wealth, that we had uh, a large number of low-income people that required a number of services residing in the city. And again, the wealth was primarily concentrated in the suburbs. So the divide was social, it was economic, and as I say in closing the food gap, it's about food as well.
2: I'm going to ask you, uh, because it's something that I've been hearing for many, many years, and it sounds like this has been your experience. There is there a difference in terms of the actual cost of the same product in one part of town as opposed to another part of town?
1: Yes. I mean, this was uh, a really terrible irony that we were finding, you know, that there's this old uh, saying that the poor pay more, yeah. and uh, we documented that uh, many times over, that the stores that remained and the price of the food they sold was higher than that in the suburbs in other words the the people with the least means um, who uh, were, were paying more for food than those in uh, higher income areas
2: what was the explanation
1: well I mean, is as, a, as a business explanation it's it's not a bad one uh, there is uh, uh, the the cost of operating a store may be higher in a city um, your stores tend to be smaller uh-huh. because space is uh, at a premium, at a premium mm-hmm. and um, there's more space uh, out, outside of the city, and stores are larger. And the larger the store, the better the uh, um, you know scale of economics mm. are.
2: But that's not exactly true, is it? I mean, it's that the reason isn't these sort of uh, structural costs. Is it because? It, or is it maybe I'm, I'm putting this question wrong is that the real reason or is there something more insidious in, in-
1: well i yeah uh, i claim that there is an insidious element as well okay. i mean there there's a good economic arguments uh, if you're a, if you're if you're just a, if all you look at is the bottom line and say yeah i'm going to make more money somewhere else right. that's where i'm going to move right. but do i have an obligation to serve people uh in all communities in a larger marketplace where i work and i claim they do and really, what happened overall was that the supermarket industry abandoned mm-hmm. inner city America. They just walked out on them, turned their backs, and the only thing left was uh, the plywood across the windows of their former stores.
2: Yeah. Well, you you seem to uh, you seem to be pinpointing a particular time where this this began to turn. You're saying the late '70s, and so I'm going to extrapolate that you, you're talking about the uh, the early 80s with the uh, onset of the Reagan administration were there public policy decisions made by the Reagan administration that really precipitated or accelerated this this uh, absolutely kind of, i mean
1: what we saw was uh, a wholesale retreat from uh, you know a commitment to ending poverty in the united states that had preceded the Reagan administration we saw uh, a right turn in our social welfare policies uh one from which we we have not really uh, changed course significantly and you know what we saw very visibly uh, in um, in hartford and you saw it in every major city across the country was the growth of the emergency food programs of uh, food banks food pantries, soup kitchens uh... began to proliferate because the programs that had previously served low-income americans uh... were evaporating mm. and uh... I mean, just the one example is that in Hartford in 1980, there were five places where you could get uh, free food or emergency food, and most of those were the old-style mission organizations that had been around for a hundred years or more. Uh, today, there are 375 such places uh, where you can get emergency food, and that number continues to grow. In fact, right now, the only the only retail or the only food outlet. Uh, that 's growing faster than whole foods is the emergency food system
0: hmm. well now let 's talk a little bit about whole foods um, Is that a good thing for the food gap, or is that just exacerbating the situation?
1: I think it is uh emblematic of the food gap um i don 't blame whole foods they 're not hurting the poor, hmm. at least certainly not in any direct or intentional way. Uh, I think that Whole Foods is providing us with some amazing food, amazing products. I shop at uh, Whole Foods about once every three months, which is about all my uh, budget will permit. And um, I find that the food is great. However, what we see is that uh, more and more Americans are shopping higher and higher on the food chain. Uh, mm-hmm. They have you know, what what Whole Foods represents is the growing consciousness of Americans around healthy food, uh, locally produced food in some cases, organically or sustainably produced food, and um, it's tremendous, tremendous health consciousness that we have um, evolved over the last several years, uh, particularly around diet and, and food. And, um, but the, the bottom line is that that food is very expensive, and uh, perhaps for good reasons, but it means that a major segment of the American population simply can't participate in that trend. Mm-hmm. And I find that problematic.
2: Mm-hmm. So there's a sort of stratification of the food um, the food chain, if that's the <laughs> right way to put it. That's right. I, I want to step back. First of all, I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Mark Winnie, and the book is Closing the Food Gap, Resetting the Table in the Land of Plenty, which is, really brings me to my question, which is there is... In America, probably, and I'm going to say this, that we're probably the most sophisticated, complete food uh, production and distribution system in the world. Is that a fair Uh statement?
1: We'll we'll accept that for now. (laughs) Okay.
2: Well, in terms of our ability to produce and and get product to market... We yeah, have, but I
1: do think that that you know, many claim, and I would agree that you know we've done that uh, at great cost to the well, environment.
2: Okay, yeah, that, that's you know, we're getting to some of the other questions that I want to bring up. But one is that in your book you talk about, uh, and you just alluded to it, you talk about the food insecure, mm-hmm. the people who are well. Once you explain to us what what you mean by that,
1: well, food insecurity is a term that's um, been pretty well accepted by by social scientists and in the, the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Every year they survey Americans and they ask a series of questions about how they get food, where they get food, um, um, whether or not they have to skip meals or give up food because they don't have enough money. And based on those questions in that survey, we we come up with a number of people who are considered food insecure. And simplest definition is that these are people who really don't know where their next meal is going to come from. There's a tremendous amount of unpredictability mm-hmm. in the way that they uh, eat and the way that they're able to secure food. Uh, that currently covers about 35 to 37 million Americans mm-hmm. who are considered food insecure. Uh, it's close to 12 percent of our population, mm-hmm. and it's a number that has not changed much over the last 10 years.
0: That's an incredible figure. Yeah. Uh, uh, shocking. I mean, is there, uh, why aren't we more aware of that,
2: and, and why aren't our policy makers yeah,
0: more 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 policy- involved? In, in Is it be, just simply because those people don't vote?
1: Well, that's true. I mean, um, I mean, politicians will uh, have a history of uh, appealing to everybody, including the poor, during the last week of their campaign, and then forget about them, forgetting about them for the rest of their term okay. in office. Um, so. You know, they are, they are disenfranchised, uh, not a disenfranchised, not a particularly powerful group of people. Their lobbies are somewhat narrow um, and focused on, on individual food assistance programs like food stamps. Um, and we have not, frankly, um, had much of a conversation in this country in the last oh, 20 years about poverty, right. which, in my opinion, is the root cause of hunger and food insecurity in this country um we've tended to sort of skew our discussion in that when it comes to food uh, around the idea that we need to feed the hungry, that we have this charitable responsibility and social responsibility as compassionate human beings to make sure that nobody in this country is starves or goes to bed hungry. Mm-hmm. Now, that means that we've put most of our attention um, on food banks, the um, emergency food system, and to a lesser degree, these food programs that are the primary safety net for uh, food insecure Americans. Uh, now that has been necessary, but it takes us away from the larger discussion that we need to have, which is how do we end this? How do we stop having hunger and food insecurity in the wealthiest nation in the world? And that's where I think we need to go.
2: Well, and then I would said, I want to. Once again, Mark, Winnie, uh, the closing the food gap. So this is where we need. Are you, are you advocating for uh, more aggressive, creative public policies? Absolutely. And how? What would you? What, what would you like to see in a in a Winnie administration? How would you handle uh, the, this this issue?
1: I'd like to deny right now that I'm <laughs> running for president.
2: If elected, you will not serve that kind nor, of thing. <laughs> any of any major candidate uh, thought my opinion on this mm. subject. Uh, well, I mean, what i, I just just uh, just uh, just just not to go off to, off uh, subject too far, but uh, we're hearing th- this brought up by at least one of the presidential candidates, and that would be John Edwards. Have you and been? John Im-
1: Edwards has been the only candidate, to my knowledge, who's had who's brought up poverty in any meaningful way. Right. Uh, he's also there's elements of his platform that um, uh, speak to some of the problems that we see specifically with food, which mm-hmm. is the limited access to good, affordable food stores in underserved communities. Hmm. So there's a little bit of that discussion taking place, not much. But um, I think what we need to do is, first of all, we have 15 separate food assistance programs administered by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. There's food stamps. There's uh, all the child nutrition programs that you see in the schools, like your school lunch program. Uh, The WIC program, which is for uh... women infant and children there's fifteen of these separate entities that are together providing about fifty five billion dollars a year of federal food assistance mm-hmm. um, yet we still have the same level of food insecurity and hunger today as we've had over the last ten years uh... when we first started measuring this problem um, this doesn't say to me that we've made a lot of progress yeah. Um, At the same time, our emergency food programs are growing. There's 50,000 different sites in the United States where an individual can get emergency food, one kind or another. Um, And what we need to do is get to the bottom. And I think, first of all, we need to take a look at all these food assistance programs and decide is this the best way to solve this problem. And In fact, are we really trying to solve it or are we just trying to manage it? You know, I maintain that we're really just using our food programs to manage poverty, mm-hmm. not to end it. And um, I think one step would be to combine all of these programs into one or two, maybe three at the most, um, and to really focus their attention and, and to reduce a lot of the administrative costs and burdens and, in fact, increase funding for those programs, or at least that, a new kind of one-size-fits-all program program. Um, so that people really are no longer hungry. And this would cost probably another 15 to $20 billion a year. But you think about it, that's what it would take to effectively end hunger and food insecurity in America, 15 that, to $20 billion.
2: That's That's one month of Iraq, the war in Iraq.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's, that's about right. Yeah. That's right. And at um, the same time, I would start to take a look at what Serious look at poverty, right. uh, wage, wages. We have, we actually, I live here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which I'm proud to say has increased uh, the living wage, has the highest living wage in the country right now, and that was set by their city council. And I think that's one step that we need to take to get people out of poverty. Let's stop this kind of low wage economy that we have um, that is really exploitive, and, and if you look at it closely and provide you know, us with an inexpensive, relatively inexpensive lifestyle uh, on, on the, that's built on the backs of, of low-wage workers. We need to begin to pay people what they're worth. We need to look at health care and make sure that people aren't spending huge amounts of their own money just to get basic health care. So that's the kind of general poverty strategy that we need to, uh, anti-poverty strategy, that we need to develop at the same time, we need to look at our hunger programs, make them more efficient, fund them in a way that is going to actually eliminate hunger and food insecurity in America.
2: In in many ways, and the things you're saying to us, Mark Winnie, are very reminiscent of 1964 and 65 when Lyndon Johnson made a commitment to ending poverty in this country and with the Declaration of War on Poverty. is the, Are these the kind of policies with some... Tweaking and some obviously modernizing some of these ideas—is that what we're talking about
1: here? Uh, I would give you a provisional yes. Uh, I have been uh, roundly criticized by those who think that you know big government is not the way to go. They point to the war on poverty as a failure. It and wasn't so, though. It really analogy,
2: wasn't that the failure that it's being portrayed to be now.
1: Well, I mean, we have things like Head Start, uh, right. housing programs. I mean, a tremendous amount of good work right. that came out of the. Right war on poverty in the great society. But in,
2: in, in many ways, what you're describing sounds like a commitment on the part of, of, of the policymakers in this country to get at the root causes of poverty.
1: Absolutely. I think that that's the direction we need to head. We can't ignore poverty anymore in this country. We can't uh, continue to uh, fuel our economic growth um, with a low-wage economy. It's just not going to work. It's not sustainable. And we see it really um, manifest itself increasingly with with the
2: food gap. Right. Well, what you're describing too is this: 37 to 40 million people who are food insecure, and another 45 million, probably many of this, most of them, the same people who are uninsured. You're looking at a at a at a potential catastrophe in terms of uh, in ter- terms of our society if we were to have a sustained recession, because right. this 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 number would quickly swell and the government would be unable to take care of this situation. Right, and, we,
1: and on top of that, you know, 35 to 40 million uh, low-income people, there's mm-hmm. another 50 to 60 million uh, working uh, poor individuals and who are uh, mm-hmm. struggling to get by as well. Um, you know, they're, they're one paycheck or at most two away from poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're the some of the victims we see of the subprime mortgage debacle. <laughs> Um, And I think we need to look also seriously at the um, income gap, the income disparity in this country. We have, um, you know, one-tenth of one percent of Americans earning seven percent of our pre-tax income in this country. Um, That is an enormous amount of money going to a very small number of people. And uh, our tax policies must address this.
2: On the other end of this, and I want to ask you, this may be a little bit off of uh, where, where we're talking about. To what extent do things like, you know, the one dollar burgers and 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 that those kinds of things, you know, the the Jack in the Box, the McDonald's, the Burger King, who's offered the one dollar meal? What to to what extent does the government subsidize that, and at what cost is that to us as a society? Is that something? Yeah, you know, our
1: cheap, we have a cheap food policy. Yeah. This country, which means that our our government provides subsidies to um, sort of a select number of farmers, um, which allows us to produce cheap corn, cheap soybeans, which means that we can produce cheap beef yeah. and cheap burger buns, among other things. Yeah. And um, you know, there's no, no one ever went broke in the United States uh, going, um, you know, finding the lowest common denominator uh, in the marketplace. And when they were able to you know, come up with inexpensive ways to feed people. Um, yeah. The people that took advantage of this right off the bat were poor, were people who were poor,
2: and who um, ended up suffering the consequences of this very poor diet, right. if you will.
1: And we see, you know, greater levels of diabetes, obesity, other diet related problems among low income families. Now, this is due to the fact that healthy food like fresh produce is more expensive on a per calorie basis than the junk food that's being served. That you know, fast food joints and uh, you know the, the the snack products and 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 soda products that you'll find in the supermarket. Um, so this cheap food policy, uh, some would tout as our savior. However, I think it's been the our downfall because it is is really. Uh, you know driving a, a knife into the you know the, the the health and the well-being of of many Americans, particularly low-income
2: Americans. So we currently have a government policy some government policies that are really driving us in exactly the wrong in the opposite direction where we should be going. Are you taking any heart in the idea that the the Democrats appear to be poised to take back uh, at least the White House and probably uh, substantially more control of the Congress? You think that'll be a good thing for us in the long run? For these policies,
1: well, I always have faith and hope, <laughs> and um, right now I, I have more faith and hope in the Democrats than I do in the Republicans. Yeah. I can see what eight years of a Republican administration has wrought. It hasn't been good for this country, people of all income levels. I think that the, um, I would hope that the food and farm policies, the health policies, and ultimately the uh, social policies of a, of a new Democratic administration would would get to the root causes of these problems.
2: Well, I am, I, we're also very hopeful, and it's books like your, yours um, that will help push the public policy in the right direction. The book is Closing the Food Gap, Resetting the Table in the Land of Plenty. Mark Winnie, thank you for joining us here on Weekly Signals. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests,